Welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast. This is episode number 352, and we're kicking off a brand new series called Reverse Engineering Success. The idea behind this series is to speak with someone about a successful hunt that they had and look back from the end of the hunt and think through the specific decisions and key moments that led to that ultimate success. We want to not just tell the whole story from beginning to end, but really zoom in on the specific situations, the specific scenarios and decisions that were made that led to the ultimate success. Our first guest today is our friend Jeff Bloomquist, and he filled his archery elk tag in Idaho last fall, and it was an amazing hunt. It was a rut fest, it was peak elk activity, but there was misses, there was mistakes, And there was key moments that led to Jeff's ultimate success. And we zoom in and talk about those details today. As always, guys, we do appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave us a message. And you can leave us an audio message from whatever device you're using. I hope you guys enjoy this entire series. This is just the first of several episodes that will be coming out weekly as we get closer and closer to this year's hunting seasons. We hope that this series is both helpful and entertaining for you to prepare you for your next hunts. Let's dive right in. Well, Jeff, uh, welcome back to the podcast, man. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I will. We'll skip the full introduction on who the heck is Jeff Bloomquist. But if guys didn't catch a previous episode with you, it was back uh, last summer in our expert roundtable. And uh, Steve, who's not with us today, has I mean, well before you're on the podcast, he's always like told me just casually, like Jeff is one of the most badass hunters I know. Like just consistent and solo <laughs> and successful. So. Uh, there's your Steve Speck recommendation. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that because that means a lot coming from Steve. So. Yeah. Although, yeah, if if listeners have heard in the a prior conversation, you just get mad at you now because you left the Spike Club and you're not going to kill big stuff. <laughs> well, and then in this hunt, right? Like as we go through, like I I had Steve Speck expectations, right? So I was I was going to kill anything. Um, I had my sights pretty low, and it actually turned out way better than I anticipated. So, yeah, cool. So yeah, these, uh, we were just talking even before hit and record. These are kind of different stories to tell because we're, we're trying to reverse engineer success. Um, and I kind of want to start like kind of at the end here, I want to start and talk about the success and we're just going to get right into the shot opportunity, uh, because there's some uniqueness of the shot. And then I want to go right after the shot because there were some lessons learned there and then we'll back up and kind of talk about how you got there um but basically at this point in this uh archery elk hunts this is just this past fall you wind up right in the middle of chaos right in the middle of a herd cows bulls bugling everything's happening uh right at the heat of that moment right in the action Pick up the story. Tell us what happened. One of the most unique and extreme experiences that I've ever been in where, um, like everybody says you're in a, in a rut fest. I was like actually 
in the middle of a huge herd in the middle of a rut fest, like, like the um, rut fest, <laughs> like the rut fest, right? Like the elk are literally running around. Uh, there's five different bulls bugling. Um, like you can hear them glunking. It's just, it's just insane. And, um, my positioning at this point is not very good because I have like a huge brush patch right in front of me. And these elk are in the wide open, probably at like 70 yards from me. And there's so many eyes that I know I can't move. And so I'm trying to figure out my, my next move of whether that's, you know, belly crawling to someplace I can get a shot or whatever that's going to be. And as this is all going down, all of a sudden, like I can just hear crashing and, and I look up through the brush and um, two of the bigger bulls actually lock up and, and start fighting. And in great fortune, they come pushing down the hill um, right to me at, at 30 yards. And so like, as they're sitting there fighting, Jeez. I draw my bow and I'm still in this position, right. Where I have like all this, these, these, um, jack fir branches in front of me. And so I'm just trying to find a window. And obviously the, the bulls are, are pushing each other, you know, back and forth. And I'm, I, I figure out which one the bigger one is. Cause actually one of the bulls that's fighting has a broken main beam. And I had chased him the first day that I was, was there. So I was familiar with what bull he was. Um, but this other one I could tell was definitely bigger. So I finally, like, I kind of like leaned to the side, not in any type of good form whatsoever, um, to get a shot through this, these, this opening in the trees. And, you know, as they're fighting, I let the arrow go and it just, it sinks just, you know, right, right into them. And, he just kept fighting, right? Like there's so much chaos and there's so much adrenaline that they don't even know that I just shot. And this is where I make my first mistake, right? Yeah. So before um, you get to that, tell us about this, that shot opportunity as they're fighting, pushing back and forth, maybe kind of like circling and moving. Did, oh, breaking that shot like what was that like i mean you you said you picked out which bull you wanted but then did you just get a window where there was pause did you kind of have to like force that shot to happen um that because that's just a pretty chaotic scenario yeah i definitely forced it right like they were they were moving um but you know like when they if you if you've seen bulls like either do it in the wild or even on tv right like a lot of times they'll stop for just a second you know mm -hmm. as they're I don't want to say they're resting, but they're just kind of pushing. And that's when I, I took my opportunity and he was semi broadside to me. Um, and, and the shot, you know, like, like I said before, like I'm like leaning over to the side, almost canting my bow. Like it's not, it's not, not ideal, the best ideal shot, but that was the only shot that I had. And I was so close that it was like, I knew, you know, that I could execute it. It was more of just getting it there. Yeah. Um, and when I hit like my height was perfect, but it was, you know, it wasn't, I knew I didn't probably get both lungs, but like, it was, it was still, you know, mid body cavity. Mm. Um, and so like, I didn't even second guess my shot. Like I was like, Oh, that's, that's going to kill him. Wow. And then you said they don't really react. They just keep fighting. The bull really doesn't know an arrow was through them. Do you start to see blood or anything? 
yeah, I can see blood coming off the side of him at this point in time. Um, and so I'm just watching, right? Like this is an insane moment of my hunting career and I'm just watching this go down thinking, Holy crap. Like he's just, they're going to be fighting and he's just going to fall over. Right? Yeah. Like, like the other bull is going to think he killed him. Um, and so I, you know, the emotions of the moment got to me and my friends all call me flinger, right? Because like, I am the first one to just keep shooting until they're down. Like I, I will empty my quiver. And in this moment, I made a very poor choice. And rather than, I think, I mean, I easily could have shot him again because they're still fighting. Right. And they don't know. I could have easily put another arrow on and sunk another one in him. Um, but I felt like the shot was good and it looked good. And in the heat of the moment, instead of grabbing my bow, I actually grabbed my freaking iPhone out of my pocket. Right. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get this on video of them fighting and him falling over. How conscious was that decision? Like, was this more instinctual of like, Oh, I just want to like, I want to capture this. He's going down. Or was it very, I don't know if it's a fair question, but like, because as you said, your your default in all other scenarios is it's being flanker, it's emptying the quiver, it's shoot until they're down. Did you almost find yourself grabbing the phone and capturing this without much analytical thought into it? Or were you just like, you were thinking, you were just thinking, great shot, he's going to be down any second, I'm going to get this. Yes, yes. I would say the second part of it, and I had kind of like self-filmed the hunt to this point, right, with my phone, just... I. I been doing this lately just so i kind of have like a memory of the hunt mm-hmm. and um and I, I just i just thought he was dead right like that's that's the mistake that i think that's the biggest mistake that i made was i thought he was dead and not to say that he still isn't but like the way the things end up transpiring like if i easily could have shot him again and so as i get my phone out like they're still fighting and i turn it on at that moment that he starts to feel sick. Right. And they separate and the, the broken bean bowl actually runs down the hill right in front of me at like 15 yards into the brush. And now the bull that I shot is standing there broadside. And I, and I've moved a little bit now after he ran by me and like, he's standing there broadside at me at 30 yards and I got my phone on him <laughs> right, rather than my bow. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just standing there looking at me. And at this point is when I realized that I'd made a mistake and he's just stands there for probably 10 seconds and then finally spooks and he takes off running kind of up the draw. And so I, my, my field of view is kind of blurred. So I had to like get around the tree to see. And he just, he ran like 20 yards and then just slowly walked up the hill and, and disappeared into some jack furs. And so like, I honestly thought he was going to be dead right there. Like just cause he didn't run after he saw me. Um, I knew he was hurt pretty bad, man. So at that point he disappears confident in the shot. Think he's going to be down right there. How do you choose to then proceed? Wait, give it time. What does that look like? So I walked up to where they were fighting and found my arrow right away and uh, just completely covered, right? 
Um, and there's blood all over on the ground right there. And so that's when I was like, okay, like this is, this is going to be, you know, an easy track. And just cause there was blood right, right away. And, uh, I always wait an hour at least, um, even unless I see him fall, like I at least wait an hour. Uh, if I'm, if I'm not confident at the shot at all, I'll, I'll wait longer. Um, but in my experience, like it's always better to wait. Like if he's dead, he's still going to be dead. Right. <laughs> um, but if he's not like, that's when you can make a mistake. So, um, I waited an hour and start tracking and like the blood trail is very, very easy to follow at this point. And I'm just walking up the hill and after about 75 yards, like there's less, um, now I go another 25 yards and I'm like trying to find the spec. And then after 150 yards, like I, I, I combed the ground for probably an hour going back and forth up and down and I got nothing and there's tracks everywhere. Right. Like, I mean, there was this 60 head elk that ran through here. So, Jeez. um, like I have nothing at this point. Cause you can't, I can't, I couldn't track. I had no blood. Um, all I had was really the last direction that he went. And this is where, you know, obviously now that it's now you're really second guessing yourself of like, why didn't I shoot again? Mm-hmm. Cause now I would have had two holes in him, you know, to get more blood. And what ended up happening was, um, you know, I was probably back in the liver. And so the guts just rolled over top of the, the exit hole. Mm-hmm. And so rather than, you know, he was bleeding, he was just bleeding internally. When blood runs out like this, or maybe you've already done something along the way as you're tracking and it's getting more faint, like very practically, what do you do in these scenarios? Like, do you start flagging the last sign of blood? Do you start using technology like Onyx to track stuff? Like what are some tips or techniques that you've used? So for tracking blood, I, I flag. Cause that way you can look back and see like the, the angle or the trajectory that the animal's taking and kind of get an idea of either what it's thinking or which direction it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I was doing here and then trying to go like up the trail, um, to, you know, cause sometimes you'll, you'll have like a spot there where it, it misses for 25, 50 yards, hundred yards. Right. And then you can pick it up, up above. Um, and I just kept doing that and like literally hand, you know, going to last blood and then crawling hands and knees, trying to just find anything. Um, and there was just nothing to find at this point. So um, I, I think that that's, that's the type of techniques that you got to use, but they don't always work, right? If it's not bleeding, you're, you're screwed. So yeah. at this point in time, um, from a mental standpoint, like I'm very, like, I still think I'm going to find him, but I'm very frustrated with myself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I get on Onyx and I start looking and I'm like, okay, like here's the logical places that he would have ran and died. Cause I, I, I honestly felt like he wasn't going to go very far. Um, what do you mean by that? So like elaborate for newer hunters the way that he acted right like after i'd shot and then he you could tell he started to feel sick like just his body language changed 
And then when he did see me and he ran, he didn't, he didn't just like full on blow out of there. Right. He ran maybe 30 yards and then is already walking. And so like, that's just not normal. Right. If they see you, they're going to bust out of there if they're feeling a hundred percent. So like, I knew he was sick. And so like, I just thought he would be piled up 150 yards because there was kind of like a little draw that he went over or a little saddle. And so I, like, I thought he was going to be piled up honestly, right down there in the bottom somewhere. So I get on Onyx and I start looking and I'm like, okay, like I'm just going to comb this drainage because this is the most likely spot for him to be dead. And so I hike down there, cover a bunch of ground, um, you know, don't see anything. So I go back, I'm like, well, maybe he went this direction. So I, I hike over this way and I look around for a while and nothing. And so then my, my next train of thought is like, I still know, he, I, like I, I was confident that he was dead. I just had to find him and I'd shot him first thing in the morning. So like, I knew I have all day to look and I was going to look until dark. When you're looking like you're covering these areas, how much time are you spending looking at the ground, looking for sign versus like looking up and scanning? Like this may sound like a weird question, but what are yeah. you looking for at this point? Like an elk or signs of an elk or blood or all the above or antlers sticking up or, you know? So I feel like at this point, like my chances of finding blood are slim. So I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the ground, but I'm more looking for the animal either laying there dead or bedded or an antler. Right. Um, like, I, I don't, and I think each situation is different. So I, I wouldn't say that's always the case, but in this one, the fact that I had looked up the hill so far from where I had last blood and there was nothing, um, that, I, that I just felt like my chances of finding any blood were slim. So I was more focused on finding him either lying there dead or, you know, bedded and hurting. And I was got to sneak it and kill him. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I go back to the saddle again. And at this point in time, I turn on my, my tracking device on, on Onyx. And my plan is to just start gritting. Um, so I, I kind of look at, okay, this is the 180 degree angles, right. That he could have went at. So like, this is the direction he was heading. This makes the most logical sense. And I just start on the tops and just keep going back and forth across hillsides. And then I would drop down using Onyx. And then also what I could see in the timber. Like, so if I, if it was super thick, then I'd, I'd keep my tracks closer. If it's wide open, then I'm, you know, spanning out further to see as much as I can. I mean, cause I'm by myself at this point, you know, point. So it's like, I don't have multiple people to cover the ground. So I got to make sure that I don't miss anything. Um, and this goes on for, uh, like, what did I say? Five hours, six hours. Um, it was a long, it was a long time. It was six hours of gritting and I covered almost five miles at Jeez. this point in time. So you said earlier, your mindset, like you're frustrated with yourself for not shooting again, but you're confident you're going to find them six hours later. Where's your mind? I'm desperate. Right? Like, <laughs> um, like I still, I know he's dead, right? Like, I, I don't know why, like, so I do know why, because 
one benefit of my screw up, right, was that I had the video of him after I'd shot. And so I looked at my phone and I'm zooming in and I'm like, and, and I sent it to actually a bunch of my friends. And I was like, look at this shot. Like, what? don't tell me what I, I want to hear. Like, tell me what you think. And everybody's like, that's a dead bull. That's a dead bull. That's a dead bull. And so at this point in time, like I'm confident as much as I can be right. That he's dead. And I just have to keep looking, but it's like, are, are you to look in the right spot and how far did he go? And am I going to have enough time to find him before, you know, the meat spoils. So I crossed this Creek and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm six hours in and I'm getting mentally fatigued. Um, you know, it's, it's harder to stay positive when you've been looking for this long and you haven't seen any sign of anything and I'm depressed. And, um, this sounds probably pretty cliche, but this is honestly what happened. Um, I sat down at this Creek and I was just like, I need a sign, right? Like I was asking for help. Um, I was like, give me a bird, give me, uh, a speck of blood, give me a broken branch, like give me some tracks. Like I just need, I just need something to point me in the right direction. Um, and so I, I sat there for a second. I had a snack because at this point I, I hadn't stopped really in, in that whole time. I just kept combing and I got up and kept, kept going on my track and I come around I get to the actually edge of my grid. Right. So I had like kind of this open area on the map that I was like, this is the, the most likely scenario where he went. And I got to this ridge line, and there's a little saddle there and I'm turning the corner on this, I'm on my grid going through some thick jack furs. And I just look over to my right and there's the antler tip sticking up out of the jack fur. <laughs> and at that point in time, uh, every swear word that I know came out of my mouth <laughs> because I was so, you know, like the emotions of that, I, I was so happy. I was so relieved. Um, and it was such a huge learning experience too, right? Like to, to stick with it for one. Um, but also, you know, like over that course of that six hours, you know how many times like I second guessed myself for not shooting again? Like as you're just hiking side hill to side hill, like this easily could have been avoided if I would have shot again. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I decided not to. So, cause that's something I always do. And it was so frustrating, right? It's like you, you're out there, you're doing everything right. And then in that one moment, you make a stupid choice that costs you potentially the animal. I was very fortunate to find it. Um, but that moment when I walked and saw that those antlers sticking up, I was, I was just so relieved. Yeah. It wasn't a little dink either. No, he was a really good bull. Um, like, <laughs> um, you know, he was a good solid six and he did have two times broken off. Um, obviously he was a fighter. Um, but I, I did score him based on the points being there and he would have been 327. So like he was a, a, a real, a real nice bull. Yeah. yeah. Dang. Was he like having points busted off and being a fighter? Did he have uh, 
like any scars or punctures in that in his body too? Um, I didn't see any. Okay. I just like, I've only killed one bull like that, but, uh, with busted tines and, yeah. uh, dude, just like, it was crazy when we were breaking him down. Like he had fresh wounds from that year. He had scars from the previous year. And it was just like wild yeah, was, to think of what these bulls go through. He was beat up. Yeah, man. Well, that's, um, yeah, certainly a learning lesson, man, for sure. I mean, for, and it's for sure. like, for and sure. obviously all of us, like you now it's a duh obvious. Why didn't I shoot again? And for, you know, everyone listening, easy to armchair quarterback, but it's those, those decisions you make in the heat of the moment where it's like, it's only until afterwards you're like, Oh, that probably wasn't a good idea. Like a, a normal quote unquote, if I was had all my wits about me, I would not have made that decision. Um, and I'm sure we all have examples of that, but what's when that does happen, what's most important is what, what you do next, you know, how do you keep going from that? Because you can't, you can't go back and change it. You can't go back and shoot them again at this point. So you're just going to have to keep moving forward and, and make the best of it. Sure. It, it's funny. Cause it reminded me of um, obviously right now with top gun coming out, right? Like we went back and watched the, the first top gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like when Maverick's like never ever, or the guy's like never ever leave your wingman. Right. Like it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a very simple thing to say, but then you almost have to screw it up sometimes to then really put, you know, push that point home. Right. Like yeah. I, I remember as a young kid hunting with my uncle, like that was one thing he always pushed into me is like, keep shooting until they're down. Right. Like it doesn't matter. Just like <laughs> keep shooting until they're down. And I always do it. And on this one time that I don't right, like it completely backfires in my face. So obviously going forward, you'll know what I'll be doing mm-hmm. from the going, you know, and, and sometimes you, you have to do things wrong to figure out how to do them. Right. Yeah. Well, and there's just like a difference of like head knowledge of like, again, yes, we know that you should do this versus truly learning the lesson right from experience For and sure. failure. Yeah. So to back way up, um, you getting to this point, you finding this herd, and I know it goes to several days before, but one unique thing about this hunt that I only know from a high level, don't know the full details of at the very beginning of this hunt, it really took you several days to, to find elk. And, you know, we started by talking about this crazy scenario of you being right in the middle of the herd, but that's not how the whole hunt went. And so what, like in those first few days, what were you doing? How were you adapting as the hunt started slow and you really weren't finding elk? Like, how did you begin to change your, either your strategy or change where you were looking to get on elk early in this hunt? I guess to kind of even back up a little bit further, I had had a, uh, archery tag in Utah and that was really my main focus because like, for me, that was a once in a lifetime tag. And, um, ended up being successful there. And so when I came home, like I had blocked off the last week of September to go back to Idaho, um, or go back to, or I guess it wouldn't be go back to Utah, but like, just, you know, I was going to come on this hunt if I, if I had the time basically, um, and being successful early in Utah allowed me to get back and go to work and spend time with the family. Um, and I honestly just wasn't sure if I wasn't even going to go on this hunt and, it's funny how sometimes things happen for a reason. And 
I give credit to my wife for this because she was like, you need to go, right? Like, like this is what you wait for all year. Um, like the, your responsibilities can wait, like go, go do it. So I, I give her credit for, for pushing me to go because I was, I would say I was 50, 50 on whether or not I was going to go or not. Once I actually got there, um, anybody that hunts over the counter units knows things are much different the last week of the season than they are the first week. Um, and so everything had been heavily pressured at this point in time. So having hunted there before I was kind of looking in the spots where I know that they have a tendency to get pushed to, and, um, they weren't there, right? Like I went to my spot the first day, there wasn't really anything there. Um, next I went like way deep in there. And I mean, I got on to some elk, but nothing really that great. Um, ran into a couple of guys and just by accident, you know, coming on the way out one evening, like I heard a bull bugle and as it turns out, like the whole, the whole, all of the elk were right by the main road. Um, so this is one thing that I think is very important. It's like, sometimes, you know, everybody wants to go deep and obviously what that does is pushes them closer to the road, um, or where people just overlook. And that would, this was kind of one of those spots that's kind of like so obvious that nobody was hunting there. Um, and so it took me till day four to, you know, actually day, the, after the evening of day three, I found them. Um, and and then day four is when I made it, you know, got in there and made it happen. So it's funny how, you know, like you think you have all these plans. I, I always say like, you have plan A, plan B, plan C. Well, like I'm going through all of those and none of them are working. Um, and by accident, find them. As you, those first few days, you're going to these spots and, uh, you know, you have previous experience previous knowledge of the area so you're kind of as you said you know what spots you're looking for why you're targeting them how do you approach those are you in there looking for sign looking for elk hoping to hear elk are you getting in there and calling because again it is later in the season they have been pressured they have been called to um, those first few days of like getting in those spots and kind of seeing if this is where you're going to hunt or not and making that decision very practically how do you approach that as far as picking the spots or like how many once I'm in there, how do I find them? Yeah. More like, cause again, you, you kind of knew what spots you were going to. So not necessarily how did you pick them or why did you pick them? I think that was, as you said, kind of based off your previous experience and knowing where they could be pushed based on pressure, but how are you evaluating those spots? Right. So now it's like, okay, now it's boots on the ground. I'm going to go into spot B today. How are you approaching that? And then what are you other than hoping to get shot opportunity or see a bunch of elk, like how are you basically evaluating? Like, is it worth hunting this area again? I'm here today. I'm checking it out. Is this a win or a loss? How do you evaluate that? A couple of different things. One would be, um, I try to use my glass as much as possible. And in this location, like that's typically effective, right? Like I can glass country to see if the elk are actually there. Um, and being later in the season, um, you know, I'll call, I'll call to locate. Um, but I typically won't call that much to actually try to call them in and kill them. 
mainly because like they've been called that so much at this point in my experience, like once you try to get close and call, they'll answer, but they run. Um, and so like, I'll call to try to get them bugling or try to glass them up and then, and then sneak in and to kill them. And so as I'm going through area by area, you know, I'm looking at, you know, tracks, I'm looking at rubs, I'm, you know, listening. Um, and the, the first spot I went the first day, like I had one bull going and that was it. And I know before, in previous times, if there's elk in there, like they'll be going. And so I only spent probably three or four hours in that spot the first morning and I, and I bailed out. Um, and then that evening I went to a spot where I could glass miles and I didn't see anything. <laughs> so next morning I went, that's when I got up and went deep thinking that, you know, I even took my backpacking gear cause I wasn't sure if I was going to stay in there. Um, and I did get in, that's when I got into the, that herd that had the, the bull with the broken horn. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was it, right? Like I saw him and a raghorn and, um, and, and that was, that was really it. And so I, I, I decided not to stay in there that night and started working my way back down this other ridge line, um, and then that's when I, I guess it was the second day. That's when I heard, um, a bull bugle off this direction and kind of worked my way over there. And honestly, should it probably killed him that night? If I wouldn't have had a doe bedded that I didn't see as I was sneaking in on him, bust me. Um, and so then I went in there the third day again and called the bull in to like, he was going up the ridgeline bugling. And so I, I hauled ass in front of him and got in front of the herd and just cow called a little bit. And he came right in to probably 40 yards. I just couldn't see him. Like I could, I could see feet and brush, but I never could see him. Um, and then that's when I kind of figured out that day that like, that's where the elk were. Cause there was just, there was sign everywhere. There was bulls bugling that I, that I didn't get on. Um, I didn't know there was that many <laughs> until the next mm-hmm. morning but that's because they were up around the backside of the face, like on the main road that I just never expected them to be on. So when you, you're now going to the situation of, I know where these elk are. You're, as you said, you're not really trying to call them to call them in, get a shot opportunity. Your approach then now is I know where they're at. Let me just get up there and put myself in a good position and almost in a way kind of see what happens right like put yourself in a yep. position where you think you're going to create an opportunity by your presence not by your calling or something like that correct yeah i i think th- this is just my experience anyway like I, i'm sure depending upon where you hunt is, is, is different um but in a heavily hunted area like this is the later in the season i just don't feel like calling works very well like it's not as effective, right? Early season. Um, I feel like it's very effective later, at least here. Um, I have not had success calling. So my, my strategies changed. You, you can't, you can't say like, this is how I've always done it. So this is how I'm going to do it. Right. Like right. that's the definition of insanity. So, um, in this scenario, my, my plan is, is to like, they're going to bugle on their own is to, or if not be able to get an answer and then move in and just evaluate the situation, get the wind right 
and, and try to get in there and, and, you know, hopefully get lucky and kill one by either sneaking in on them or, um, you know, figuring out where they're going to go and, and cutting them off. So that's kind of what happens on day four, right? Like I'm, I have an idea where they're going or sorry, I have an idea where they're at. And so I'm hiking up this ridge line in the dark to try to get all the way up on top of this little ridge knob that, that they were on the day before. And as I'm hiking up there, I can just hear, you know, the rut fest going on, like just bulls bugling. And so now I'm, I'm kicking it over gear, trying to get all the way up on top before daylight. And as I get up there, it's, it's cracking daylight and I can see some of them down below me. And, you know, you're, I'm on a ridgeline and the face is like pretty wide open. There's a few trees, but there, there's also enough little draws that you can't, I can't see like this whole face from, from my location anyway. And I can see like 15 or 20 head, but it's still so dark that you can't, you know, I couldn't put horns on them, but you can just kind of tell by body size that, that at least one of them is a bull. So I get, I work my way up there and now I'm probably within 150 to 200 yards and I sneak over the hill and the rest of the herds down the hill further. And I look around and up and there's a five point at probably 60 yards over the top of the ridge line, and the wind's going right down the hill. But I thought, well, if I can sneak up there close enough and stay down the ridge far enough, right, my, my wind will be good. And the rest of the herds around the hill far enough that I won't get winded. And so that's what I ended up doing is I sneak up there, got my arrow knocked. I sneak over. He's right there feeding, doesn't even know I'm there. Range him. It's like, it's something somewhere around 60. And I start to draw. Cause like I said before, at this point, I'm killing anything. And it turns out to be my good graces, but I didn't know it, but there was two mule deer does right down below me at probably a hundred yards. And so they don't see me, but they wind me. And as I'm drawing, I, I catch movement and there they take off running. And now the whole herd just bails, right. And that bull takes off running and the other ones down below take off running too around the hill. And I haven't, I've never really hunted this area until the last day and a half. Right. And so I, I thought I had an idea of where they were going to go. So rather than chasing them, I honestly almost went the opposite direction um, because I thought they would go run around this hill and come over through this saddle. So when you say like, I think they're going to do this, is that based on just experience? <laughs> like not necessarily experience yeah, in yeah. this area, but just like, hey, here's what, here's how I, how I have observed elk move right and maybe that's terrain based like you said something like a saddle like they're going to go here but i'm just trying to draw out because i can anticipate some listeners thinking well how did he know they were going to do that or he thought that they were going to do that like nothing's guaranteed but you know like those types of decisions um that's just from screwing it up before and seeing what elk do and screw it up or what i think it's just experience like and some of it's just a sense that you can't explain right um Out of anybody that I, yeah, out of anybody that I know, my, my uncle is the best at this. Like if you get elk running, like you want to be attached to his side because he is going to know where they're going to go. And I don't know, like if I just have picked some of that up by accident over time, right. Or just, I think you can also 
look at the terrain and kind of get an idea of like, this is the most likely point. And they had crossed through this area the day before when I was in there. And so I thought there's a high probability that they're going to cross there again at this time. And that's where I decided to go, whether it, you know, it was right or wrong. Like that's where I was heading versus following because obviously I heard elk, you're never going to catch up to you on foot. Um, but they had to go all the way around this mountain where I was like cutting the distance in half the direction that I was going. So I, I don't know that there's an easy way to explain that Mark, but I think that it's for partially from experience um, of just, and you have to anticipate, right? You can't, um, like, I, I don't know that it was like super conscious. It was just kind of like, this is probably where they go. And I took off running, right? It wasn't like I sat down and drew out a map of like, oh, here's where they might go. It was just like, my intuition said, get to that spot. And I bailed. I think even that is like important is you're, you're using some intuition, you're using some private previous experience, but at the end of the day, even if you were right, with your intuition or guessing, like none of that matters unless you actually take action, <laughs> unless you put yourself in the position. So you could sit there and go this or that. I don't know what to do. And it's like, well, if you sit there, you're guaranteed to be wrong. Right. Because the elk are moving. So even you only have if, a few seconds. Yes. Yeah. So even if you guess wrong, at least if you take action, you're creating the chance of an opportunity. If you sit there and overanalyze and do nothing, you're guaranteed to be wrong because the elk are moving and you're not well said, right? Like you have to, you just have to make a decision to go. Um, and that's what I did. I just grabbed my bow and I honestly took off <laughs> running, um, as fast as I could to get there. And I come over this little, the little draw that ended up, my bow ended up running through. And as I'm coming down the hill, like I can see elk just, you know, like, uh, snapshots of them just <laughs> through the trees. And at this point in time, I thought, crap, I, I wasn't fast enough, right? Even though I made a split decision and ran, like I, I, I thought I had missed the herd. So I continued just to move as quick as I could down the hill. Cause I thought, well, maybe some more will come as I get down there and I'll, I'll, and I'll get lucky. And I got down there closer. And then all of a sudden a bull beagles, like just to the left of me at probably 75 yards. And so now my focus turns to him and I'm trying to figure out he's in some really thick stuff. So I'm trying to figure out how to either get in there or how I would even get an opportunity. And then corner of my eye, I catch moving again. And here comes another bull over the hill and he's coming right to me, just kind of slowly walking, feeding. And he's like a small four, four or five point. And I'm shooting him. So I get my arrow knocked. He has no idea that I'm there. He slowly kind of feeds down. He, I think he bugled one time, just kind of real soft. And then comes in through an opening down below me. And I range him and I draw and like confidence kicks in, right? Like I'm already thinking in my mind, like how, which direction I'm going to take him, right? When I pack him out. <laughs> Um, like there's no question in my mind that this bullet's dead at this point in time. Yeah. And I settle the pin and he's, you know, a cow call and he's looking right at me and I squeeze and like, if this is bull, like 
pulls Houdini on me, right? And just like does a white tail type move like Matrix and like lays flat and my arrow shoots right over the top of his back and sticks in a tree. And I started laughing. Like I was <laughs> like, oh, like, are you kidding me? Like this little four point just like schooled me, right? Um, it, it was fun. It was funny. Like I honestly laughed, even though like I was frustrated, but I was, I thought it was pretty dang funny because I thought what, like I, I had him dead to rights. Yeah. I knew I had, you know, I knew I was thinking about how I was packing him out and like, here I am still with nothing to show for it. So, so you know, as got, as things played out, it turned out to be a blessing, right? Like right. obviously if I would have killed him or if I would have killed the other five point, and those does wouldn't have busted. Like I wouldn't have been in the position for what was about to happen to me. So no more than a minute after this happens, right? That, that same bull that I'd heard before in the brush bugles again. And so now my focus turns back to him. And then that's when the rut fest ensued mm-hmm. above me. And I heard them coming and I thought, holy crap, like rather than, missing the herd i'm right in the middle of them and like this is the best scenario that i could have asked for dude the ups and downs like i mean it's it's cliche but god so true it's like everything changes in an instant i mean just you just missed a bowl but then seconds later you're like (laughs) where we picked up the story at the very beginning of like the coolest experience and rut fest ever and then obviously end up arrowing a, a much bigger bowl with a crazy story to go with it for sure like it was the ups and downs of that day and things that went things i did right um but also things that i did wrong that turned out to be either good or bad right like obviously mm-hmm. i would have killed that bull um never would have killed this other bull and then i would have had a good story to tell about hey i shot this four point and then i had you know a 330 bull run by me at 20 yards fighting and i couldn't shoot him right mm-hmm. um so I was, I was fortunate to miss um, but then I was also unfortunate to not shoot again and then have to track him for six hours, um, you know, and really push my resolve to the end to, to try to find him. So yeah. a lot of good takeaways from that hunt and emotional roller coasters that, that they can be. Um, you know, I think sometimes too, like it's easy. I don't want to say it's easier. It's if you, if you're hunting with multiple people too, sometimes you can get a bit of a, a group sync, I would say, where it's like, it's easy to say like, Hey man, like you're, we're just not going to find him. Um, and I would also say too, it's easy sometimes when you're hunting by yourself to get so down cause you don't have anybody there to pick you up. Right. So yeah, like in both situations, you have to be conscious about your emotions and it's, it's so easy to like, 90% of hunting is, is a mental game that I, I think anyway, like, so that's how I play it. And so it, it's very easy to like, let yourself get down. And obviously I was down right on this hunt multiple times. Um, but just by being, this is sticking with it, right. Just, um, not giving up. I was fortunate enough to, to not only kill a great bull, but then find him too. Yeah. The important thing in there is it's not that you don't have those down moments or the negative thoughts. It's just For that sure. you don't stay in them, right? Like you said, you were down, but you super down. know it's yeah. a mental game. It's like, 
okay, that happened. That did suck. Like that was not good. I did miss this bull did jump the string, whatever. Yeah, bad. But, and you didn't know it was going to turn out the way it did, but the fact that you shifted mindset and kind of stayed in the game, if you will, is what allowed the success to come. So it's not like you're not like a completely ignorant um, optimist, right? Like, oh, that was good. Absolutely not. Right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely not. No, like that. That's 100 percent true. Like I'm I'm human just as much as everybody else. And so like it's what you do next. Right. So kind of like you're you talked about just a few minutes ago when I spooked that herd. Right. Like I, I had to make a quick decision and I just made it. And sometimes even in those situations, when you're when you're negative, you have you have to continue to. Just like, I just got to keep moving, right? Like you can't just sit there and play the pity party for yourself. Um, like you have to, the opportunity isn't, well, in, in this case, I guess it did. I was going to say the opportunity isn't going to just present itself, right? <laughs> um, but it, it did here, uh, but you just never know, right? And sometimes I guess it does, but you have to, you have to keep pushing, so that's what makes it so fun is you just never know. Yeah, man. Awesome. Cool story. Lots of lessons and nuggets to pull out of that one, man. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is like a completely unfair question. I hate the hypothetical. If you had to choose between this or that, cause you don't have to choose, but like, where does your head go? If I ask you, would you rather like if we put on the table, you could kill the 327 bull or you could be in the middle of the rut fest, have the experience, watch those bull fight, whatever, you know, experience that full on experience, but not kill the bull. Like which one would you take or you don't know? I would definitely take the experience of killing him because, because of the emotional roller coaster, right? Like even though it sucks, um, like now I have that in my bank of things that obviously everything can go completely right. Right. Like that, that bull coming down the hill was everything was completely right. Um, you know, I, I made a good shot. Um, but then I made one poor decision to not shoot again. And that totally changed the course of the whole day, but it still turned out to be a success. And so who knows what kind of experiences I will have going forward. And I can always go back to that experience and be like, but this happened like this. Right. And so like, mm-hmm. you, like to not like just talking a few minutes ago about not letting yourself get down like that, that's now motivation for me to not get down in the next scenario or to not quit looking because like, I know what can happen if you're just persistent. Um, so I, I wouldn't change I wouldn't change anything about that day because like it was honestly a huge learning experience for me. Um, and, and I grew from it. Right. And I'll be a better, not only a better hunter, but a better, I think just person in general from it, which I is the, the key to all this. Yeah. It's so true, man. The first archery bull I killed was at the, like literally the closing moments of a week long hunt, like sunset, on the last day type thing when there was nothing happening, like <laughs> no signs of hope, literally like couldn't find elk, couldn't hear elk. Just, you know, like kind of head down almost going back to camp in a way, but still in it. Cause I ended up spotting this bull. Um, he wasn't vocal or anything. 
And ultimately that's how I killed my first star triple. Would you, would you change anything about that hunt? Absolutely not, man. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's something I come back to. I mean, this is years ago, but it's still something I come yeah. back to. And then, I mean, kind of same thing. Like the, the first trip to Alaska I did was our caribou hunt and, um, killed, you know, my caribou on the very last day. And you just, you just got to put yourself out there, even in a small way. Think of like, what that hunt in Kodiak, we just had Jeff of, we literally went out kind of the last morning knowing it was not even going to be a full day. And it's like, well, let's just go see what happens. Like we have, I think four hours to go hunt and ended up killing a great buck. So you just have to just not, it's just not over till it's over. It literally, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but I, I can back that up with, you know, a handful of experiences where that's happened myself. Yep. Well, cool, man. That's, um, that's good. I appreciate you sharing the story. It's, uh, certainly something that is lifelong memories for you. I'm sure. Oh yeah. And like, I got, you know, I have video of that hunt too. So I, I can go back and watch it. And like, it's, it's funny to go back and watch my expression right after I shoot it. <laughs> um, because I'm so, I'm so amped, right. It was such a crazy scenario and like, I can see my positive emotion. And then I turn my camera on as soon as I see the antlers in the brush. And like I said, like, you know, there's a lot of cussing that comes out of my mouth because I was just so relieved and um, like this huge weight had been lifted off of my shoulders because it's like when you, you do something that you know you shouldn't and, um, and you're paying for it, I guess that you could say, right? Like you're, you're mm-hmm. suffering because of the poor decision that you made. And then when everything turns out okay at the end, like that, that burden had just been lifted. And, um, it was a feeling that, uh, you know, I will never forget. And it was a great learning experience too. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool to go back and watch that. Cause you're just like, yeah, like I remember those raw emotions. So even though I, I, I was foolish to, to film part of it. Like, I'm also glad that I did film the rest of it to, to have that, you know, to, to remember the hunt by. Well, that's a wrap on the first episode in this series. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. We have other episodes coming from great hunters and it covers several species. So we got mule deer, we got mountain goat, we have another elk story. We have more coming. So if you haven't yet, be sure to hit subscribe in your podcast app so that you can receive the future episodes automatically. And once again, if you have anything for us that you'd like to share, whether that's a story or you have a question, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com or look for the link in the show description that says leave a message. We'll talk to you soon.